So uh, we'll begin eliminating the C word. And uh, you might wonder why we call it the C word. Well, one of my um, uh, areas of, of medicine is in regards to endoscopic procedures. And one of the things I've um, learned uh, through the years, um, when we're describing to, uh, for people, we get a lot of 50-year-olds uh, that are referred by other physicians to do a colonoscopy on them, one of the screening tests that's recommended by the American Cancer Society. And sometimes they don't even know why they're there. They just know that the doctor sent them for their procedure. And so I'll say, so why are you here? Well, my doctor sent me. Are you having any problems? No, no problems. My doctor says I just need to get this done. And so I'll explain to them, well, what we're looking for today are growths or polyps that can turn into the C word. And if we remove them in the polyp stage, then you don't have to worry about the C word as far as the colon is concerned. And those patients know right away what I'm talking about when I talk about the C word. And for whatever reason, in our area of the country, they prefer it to be mentioned that way. If you actually say the word itself, there's almost um, you know, a, a fear that saying the word might actually bring it about. And so uh, it, uh, it is kind of one of those um, uh, four-letter words of medicine, even though it's more than four-letter words. Uh, where we tend to do the abbreviation instead of actually saying it, because it is a, a very fear disease for good reason. Uh, many people, of course, have recognized their, their relatives go down significantly, change their appearance, have all sorts of pain and discomfort, and die a pretty gruesome death. And it is a common death, and one that uh, in many cases can be uh, prevented. If we look at the rising death toll, cancer has now surpassed heart disease, the number one cause of death in the U.S. for people under the age of 85. And so uh, cancer kills younger people. Uh, heart disease, by and large, um, kills older uh, individuals. The more you age, the greater the chance of atherosclerosis or heart disease. Uh, but cancer, of course, is the second leading cause of death in children. Uh, and, of course, it can strike at, at any age. And uh, it is now the number one uh, killer in younger people. The impact of cancer in America uh, is pretty significant. One out of every two men will get it at some point in their life. Uh, one out of every three women will get it. And currently, one out of every four deaths in this country is due to cancer. So when you go to your local funeral home, one out of four individuals... Um, that are there um, are there due to cancer. And, of course, um, this is one of the reasons why it is such a major problem in our society is due to its commonality. There's two standard approaches to prevent cancer complications and death that are talked about in the medical literature extensively. Uh, the first one is knowing and acting on the seven cancer warning signs. And the second is knowing and undergoing the appropriate screening tests. First, the cancer warning signs. These are the, uh, the classic seven uh, that they're called, uh, cancer warning signs. But depending on the particular type of cancer, there obviously can be some others as well. But these are the ones that uh, are um, uh, advertised and marketed to the lay public that they need to be aware of. A change in bowel or bladder habits. Uh, if that change occurs where you're used to having a bowel movement every day and now you're having it four times a day, 
uh, and that persists for more than a week or two, may need to be checked out, or if constipation suddenly starts. Or the same can be true for bladder uh, either way. A sore that doesn't heal. A sore should heal. Uh, and if they're not healing, they really need to be uh, checked out. Unusual bleeding or discharge. Uh, you might be surprised how many individuals, uh, speaking of the fields of colonoscopy, that come to me that have put up for rectal bleeding intermittently for quite some period of time just because they thought it was a normal part of their existence or they attribute it to hemorrhoids or whatever. And uh, when it gets out of control where all of a sudden they're needing blood transfusions, etc., then they show up to finally uh, find out why they're having the bleeding. And, of course, often that can be very uh, late in the process, and by then, if it is cancer that's causing that bleeding, it could have had a much more likely chance to spread to vital organs. Of course, unusual bleeding or discharge from other areas uh, may uh, also be abnormal and need to be uh, checked out. Thickening of a lump in the breast or elsewhere uh, is obviously abnormal. Indigestion or difficulty in swallowing. Uh, Many people don't get checked out for this. And one of the things that's important to realize is uh, this really underscores the most rapidly rising cancer in our society today. Does anyone know what the most rapidly rising malignancy is in America? It's not colon cancer. It's not oral cancer. It's esophageal cancer. Yeah. Esophageal cancer is a very deadly cancer. It's dramatically increasing in our society. And studies show that if you have reflux symptoms for more than five years, you're at a marked increased risk of getting esophageal cancer. And uh, that's because uh, first you get reflux, then as it persists, the mucosa can change into what's called Barrett's esophagus. And then Barrett's esophagus can then change and go into malignancy. And so it's important uh, that you don't just take, you know, over-the-counter Prevacid or over-the-counter Prilosec or get prescriptions for these type of drugs over the course of years and think that just because you're a refluxer you need to do that. Um, You need to really get it checked out to make sure that you don't have Barrett's esophagus because, of course, at that point intervention can be taken place to prevent you getting the actual uh, malignancy. And, of course, once malignancy of the esophagus occurs, um, it's very rapid death, normally within a year in most cases, despite what therapeutic measures are being utilized, at least the traditional therapeutic uh, measures. A difficulty in swallowing. If food gets hung up before it goes down, uh, that's abnormal. It needs to be checked out. Obvious change in a ward or mole, change in color, change in uh, the, the shape or the thickness, et cetera, needs to be checked out. And this is underscoring another malignancy that's on the rise in America today. What's the name of this malignancy? It's melanoma, uh, the, the deadly type of skin cancer. Uh, nagging cough or hoarseness, if that persists after several weeks of having a cold and you still have it, needs to be checked out because it could be a malignancy. Now, if people would actually do what this is re- recommends, if people with these symptoms would have them checked out promptly, what percent of cancer deaths could be spared in America today? Do you know? Anyone want to make a guess about that? 
50%, someone says 90%, 70%, it turns out about 5% of cancer deaths could be spared. Uh, that's quite a few when you're you know, considering over 500,000 uh, deaths from cancer, that's over 25,000 individuals that would be saved every year uh, if people would pay attention to this. Uh, but it's also good to keep this in perspective. Uh, some might say maybe as much as 10%. So somewhere between 25 and 50,000 people could be spared if they paid attention to this list and if they got these symptoms uh, checked out rather promptly. But because cancer is often an asymptomatic disease, in other words, people can feel healthy, they can look healthy, they're very active, but cancer is growing and is multiplying in their system and they have no clue about it, uh, the American Cancer Society recommends that people on a regular basis undergo screening tests. Now, screening test means that you have no symptoms whatsoever, but you're undergoing tests to see whether you might have a cancer in an early stage to have uh, an intervention done to prevent it from actually causing uh, death or spread. A physical exam is recommended uh, with a caregiver with attention to thyroid, lymph nodes, oral cavity, skin, testicles, and ovaries. Normally, this is recommended on about an every three-year basis. Uh, but depending on the age and the individual, sometimes it might be recommended on a, uh, a lesser interval than this. A stool slide test is now recommended for microscopic blood in everyone on a yearly basis, starting at about age 40. Uh, in fact, it won't hurt. It's a very simple test to start it earlier. And, of course, this is to try to detect the second leading cause of cancer death in this country, which is colon cancer. And, of course, uh, colon cancer um, uh, doesn't always start out with microscopic bleeding, uh, but it can get to that stage, and uh, that's what we're uh, trying to uh, detect there. Colon cancer, of course, can occur at any age. Uh, just a few months ago, I diagnosed an 18-year-old uh, with colon cancer. It's not extremely uncommon to have younger individuals. It's not just a cancer of the elderly. Uh, but, uh, and of course, it is uh, one that can be very deadly. Colonoscopy is now recommended at what age by the American Cancer Society? 50. Uh, this is an entire exam of the colon, and uh, in some individuals, it's recommended at age 45. African Americans, for instance, it's now recommended across the board if you're African American because you have an increased risk of this disease that you have your first colonoscopy at age 45. That first colonoscopy is indeed a very important one uh, because, as mentioned, um, these polyps can be growing at a much earlier age. And so we recommend, even though you come from a good health background, uh, to uh, make sure and get uh, this uh, a screening test. Blood PSA test is recommended uh, for men. This is becoming a little more controversial. Thank you. than it used to be. I still think it's a very good test uh, to uh, get because there's so many other things that can cause the PSA to go up besides cancer, so it causes a lot of uh, maybe unnecessary tests, biopsying of the prostate gland, et cetera. 
often a very good test to get before you get a prostate biopsy if your PSA is high is just an ultrasound of the prostate, which can be done uh, through the rectum, and that can give a, a, a good clue without necessarily biopsying everyone with a high PSA uh, across uh, the board. But it can detect prostate cancer at an earlier age where intervention can be done. Prostate cancer, it's now clear, one, we mentioned one out of every two men will get cancer at some point in their life. One out of every six men will be diagnosed with prostate cancer um, before they die. So it's a very common um, cancer in men. And, of course, it does tend to occur in uh, the older you get, the higher the likelihood uh, that you are going to get it. We could spend a whole um, uh, lecture just on prostate cancer and some of the new research in regards to it. Uh, the screening test, the ways of preventing, uh, alternative ways of treating it, et cetera. But sometimes prostate cancer, I should mention, is overtreated. When we detect it in the earlier stage, people are recommending radical prostatectomies and uh, things of this nature where uh, sometimes all that needs to be done is followed in changing your lifestyle uh, significantly at an earlier stage. And so that's important to recognize. Vitamin D is something that I recommend and now on a regular basis as a test to see how your immune system is doing. Studies are pretty clear that if you have a low vitamin D level, you are at an increased risk of a number of cancers. And in fact, if there is a one vitamin that is probably the most important that we've discovered that helps uh, prevention and probably even helps in the treatment of cancer, um, although we don't know for sure yet with those studies undergoing, it is uh, vitamin D. And of course, a lot of studies have been done on other vitamins with rather dismal results or minimal results in regards to prevention of cancer, but uh, vitamin D seems to be uh, far uh, greater in importance. And, uh, uh, you know, it's kind of an interesting uh, looking at this vitamin D topic uh, in regards to um, a cancer and health in general. I remember a few years ago, um, uh, Weimar was criticized for the S in New Start. Uh, because dermatologists and medical people across the uh, country were telling people to get less sun, that sun causes skin cancer, et cetera, and it can cause some premature wrinkling. And so this remedy of sunlight is clearly in error. Uh, and uh, why do you have that as part of the Weimar New Start program? Well, I don't think there's anyone really criticizing that today because of the research that's come out in regards to vitamin D, as well as other sunlight benefits. But uh, Dr. Giovannoni from um, Harvard University uh, recently mentioned that the sun prevents 100 times more cancers than what it causes. Uh, and so uh, uh, sun is, uh, sunlight is still, of course, uh, one of the best ways of getting uh, vitamin D. The American Cancer Society recommends additional screening tests for women, pelvic exam, and pap smear. By the way, back on that sunlight topic, uh, Ellen White, uh, uh, you can find it in the CD-ROM and was quoted on that, but she was asked in regards to um, health things uh, for herself, and she says, I try to get as much sunlight as I possibly can. Uh, and uh, that was uh, something that she was convinced of uh, as well. Uh, additional screening tests for women, pelvic exam and pap smear. When is that recommended in women? What age? 40? 
Uh, it's actually recommended 20s, 18. It's actually recommended when sexual activity begins. And the reason for that is the pap smear is trying to detect cervical cancer, which is actually a sexually transmitted disease. Cervical cancer, 93% of the time, it's caused by the papillomavirus, which is sexually transmitted, and 7% of the time it's caused by the chlamydia uh, bacteria, uh, which is also a sexually transmitted disease. And cervical cancer kills young women uh, as a, a result of this. And, in fact, uh, the American Society of uh, OBGYN Oncology recently mentioned that there are only two groups of women who are not at risk for cervical cancer. Uh, one of the, uh, the groups is a woman who has never had sexual activity, is not at risk for cervical cancer. And the other is a woman who has had a monogamous relationship for life with a man who has also had a monogamous relationship for life. Uh, that is the, uh, the other group of women that are at zero risk for developing the disease. But of course, uh, in our society today, very few women by the time they're 20 years old or 18 fit into that category. And so by and large, most um, medical practitioners are telling everyone uh, to get uh, the pap smear. And, um, of course, it's better to err on the side of too much screening maybe than too little. But in reality, there are two groups of women who don't need uh, to get that, uh, that exam uh, done. A self-breast exam uh, is important as far as a screening test. This is recommended around the same time every month. Breast physical exam is recommended on an annual or biannual basis until uh, you're age 40. Mammography is still recommended. Uh, uh, some studies are showing every year after 40. Some are saying every other year. Certainly after 50, it's recommended on a yearly basis to detect what type of cancer in women? Breast cancer. Breast cancer is the second leading cause of cancer death in women. And one out of every eight women, we talked about one out of every six men getting prostate cancer in this country, one out of every eight women will get breast cancer. Uh, and uh, thus we need to be aggressive at trying to pick it up at the early stage. Now, having mentioned this in regards to screening, if everyone would undergo the screening tests appropriately and at the right age, what percent of cancer deaths could be spared? 5%, 10%, you're doing a little better on this one than you did on the last question. Uh, it is true, another 5%. No more than 10% of cancer deaths could be spared. So 25 to 50,000 lives could be saved. Still very important to undergo it. But that leads us to the next question, and that is this. Is knowing and following the cancer warning signs and undergoing screening the best way to prevent cancer? No. Actually, those things don't prevent cancer. They're preventing cancer deaths uh, to some extent, but they're not really preventing cancer. Most cancer deaths are actually prevented before cancer ever forms to begin with. And there's two primary methods in which we can prevent cancer deaths. And one is knowing and avoiding carcinogens. These are things that can get into your cell and change that cell into a cell that multiplies out of control and is an abnormal cell. That's what cancer is. And uh, so knowing and avoiding those carcinogens and then boosting and maintaining the immune system, also an important role. Because we live in a sinful world, we can't avoid all carcinogens all the time. 
And if we do have a cell that goes into an abnormal cell, hopefully our immune system will be able to recognize it and destroy it before it has a chance to grow and multiply. The first one that we'll go into is carcinogens. What's the number one carcinogen in America? It is tobacco smoke, still the number one carcinogen. And it increases the risk of a number of cancers, including cancer of the lung, lip, mouth, throat, voice box, trachea, esophagus, stomach cancers twice as likely, liver cancers twice as likely, pancreatic cancer twice as likely, bladder and kidney cancer four to eight times as likely. A lot of people don't recognize, uh, they recognize the association between lung cancer and smoking, but don't recognize all of the other um, uh, cancers that can come about. And, of course, that's because those toxins, uh, those carcinogens can concentrate in the bladder and kidney. Many of them are eliminated in the body through these uh, organs. Cancer of the cervix, actually. Now, we mentioned cervic cervical cancer being a sexually transmitted disease. Uh, this one, uh, it's questionable to put it on this list, but what studies show is if you're a smoker and you get the papillomavirus, it's much more likely to be an aggressive uh, disease. So it's probably smoking and it's in in its inhibition of the immune system that makes the cervical cancer a lot more likely to grow and multiply. Leukemia, uh, we know also more likely in smokers. Colon cancer is slightly more likely. Cancer of the skin is more likely, and even cancer of the penis in men. Now, if we were to take a look at all of the cancers that could be eliminated by eliminating tobacco, what percent of cancer deaths in this country could be spared? 30% is the value. So this is even more important as far as numbers of deaths are concerned than even the screening tests and the signs and symptoms. And so uh, really it is a, a toxin that would be best uh, buried deep beneath the earth, uh, and uh, maybe we ought to eliminate it the way we eliminate some nuclear waste, uh, et cetera, in order to get people's attention in regards to the problems that it's causing in this country. Now this one is not as well known in the media as being a carcinogen, but clearly it increases the risk of cancer in a number of ways. It's been linked to 75% of all esophageal cancers, 50% of all mouth cancers, 50% of all larynx cancers, 30% of all liver cancers, and it also has been shown to increase the risk of colon and rectal cancer, even in moderate amounts. Now, most of these cancers are caused by those that drink a regular amount of alcohol in a rather heavy way. Uh, these are linked to what we call alcoholism, which is a very common problem in our country uh, today. But this occurs not only in alcoholics, but in people who are not classified as alcoholics, who use alcohol just on a moderate basis. And also this cancer is significantly increased in those that just consume alcohol moderately and that is breast cancer. A lot of people are unaware, but there have been well over 100 studies, now almost 200 studies done internationally that show that alcohol, even in moderation, significantly increases the risk of breast cancer. Now, when those studies come forward, and they're published in prestigious journals like the Journal of the American Cancer Society or the Journal of the uh, New England Journal of Medicine, uh, these, when these studies come out, unfortunately, there's a media blackout in regards to having uh, your evening news person tell you about this on television. 
Now, when a study comes out showing that alcohol might decrease the risk of heart disease, that shows up on the media. And that's something that is uh, well advertised. And it is true that if you drink enough alcohol to get cirrhosis of the liver, you will only have a 20% chance of dying of a heart attack compared to someone in the general population. And so uh, it, we need to kind of put this in perspective, but I can't understand why people are advocating what the Centers of Disease Control states very clearly is the third leading cause of death in this country, and that is alcohol. Why people would advocate the third leading cause of death in this country to try to prevent another cause of death. But uh, that's exactly what is occurring, and the media is extremely biased uh, when it comes to this in the scientific literature. And they just report one side of the equation. And uh, it's an unfortunate uh, event because many people think that alcohol is actually a health drink now uh, and something uh, that, uh, that might actually prolong their life. Uh, but it's clear that it increases the risk of a number of cancers. And the American Cancer Society, as well as the World Health Organization, both agree that zero alcohol is the best as far as longevity and health is concerned. And so you're quoting some pretty good organizations like WHO when you say that. It turns out 11% of all cancer deaths, or up to 60,000 deaths per year, are related to alcohol and its risk of cancer only. Now, if we take a look at alcohol and other types of deaths, of course, it's, it's way above that 60,000 number. But that's a huge number of people dying prematurely uh, from uh, alcohol. Now, uh, coffee use has also been linked to cancer, particularly the drug that's present in coffee, and that is caffeine. This study was uh, the original Adventist health study that's showing those that drank two cups or more per day of coffee significantly increased the risk of bladder cancer in men. A number of other studies have shown a link. It turns out caffeine is a little um, confusing because it doesn't seem to be a carcinogen in and of itself, but it seems to be a co-carcinogen, meaning if there's other carcinogens around, it's a lot easier for that carcinogen to get into the cell in the presence of caffeine. Caffeine has been linked to cancers of the kidney, breast, colon, pancreas, ovary, um, even uh, prostate. There's more on the list that we could go through that have been uh, linked in some way, shape, or form to uh, caffeine, but primarily as a co-carcinogen and one that we need to be aware of. Of course, meat has been linked, but a lot of people are unaware of the studies in regards to how we cook our meat. The charcoal broiled steak, which is very uh, commonly done, increasing uh, in, our, in many different uh, cultures in America, uh, just uh, uh, cooking a kilogram of charcoal broiled steak or two pounds will equal the amount of benzopyrene in 600 cigarettes smoked. And that significantly increases the risk of stomach cancers and leukemia as well. And one of the reasons why if you're going to eat meat, you probably don't want to charcoal broil it. Uh, studies are also showing the increased risk of certain um, digestive cancers and it's linked to hot, spicy types of foods, particularly chili peppers. Uh, this study was done in Chile itself, uh, where the rate of gallbladder cancer, another very deadly cancer that normally causes death within a year, is significantly uh, increased as a result of the uh, chili pepper consumption. Gallbladder cancer incidence has grown fourfold. High chili pepper consumption increased the risk of gallbladder cancer by 200%. Uh, in this particular study, and one of the reasons why we may have been uh, counseled among several reasons to avoid 
uh, the uh, hot, spicy foods. Prostate cancer has been linked to uh, uh, fat intake in particular, particular animal fat intake. This is interesting to look at the Japanese data. Uh, after uh, World War II, the Japanese began to sell us their automobiles, and in revenge, we gave them our diet. And uh, our uh, uh, increased fat intake has significantly raised their prostate cancer risk, still not to the level it is in this country, but it's very much linked to uh, animal fat intake. This study done a few years ago at Harvard University shows that meat is also related to colon cancer intake. Those who eat it on a daily basis increase their risk of colon cancer 149%, five to six times a week, 84%, two to four times a week, 50%, one time per month even increase the risk over the control group, which in this study were those who were the vegetarians. Now, this shouldn't be said that there's zero risk. This was in comparison with this, so that's why it, sh it shows up as zero, because vegetarians can get colon cancer as well. But you just need to add a 39% increased risk for those that are going to eat meat once a month. Now, this was primarily taking a look at red meat. Dr. Willett, the study's author at Harvard University, uh, stated very clearly that there's no safe level. He says this study demonstrates there's no safe level of meat intake in regards to cancer. But he also stated it demonstrates the more frequently you consume it, the greater the risk, and uh, something to keep in mind. Uh, after this study was published, Loma Linda University took a look at their data in regards to white meat, and it showed that white meat uh, also increased the risk. Eating white meat less than once a week is what they looked at it, increased the risk 55% over those who did not consume white meat at all. So even, even eating uh, a chicken once every two weeks uh, increases the risk of this uh, cancer compared with those who don't consume it at all. And then if you eat it more than once a week, it increases the risk to over 200%. So uh, white meat also uh, significantly uh, increases uh, the risk. Meat has been linked to a number of other cancers besides colon and rectal cancer. It's also been linked to breast cancer, a prostate cancer in numerous studies, pancreatic cancer in numerous studies, ovarian cancer, uh, stomach cancer, uh, esophageal cancer, and also lymphoma uh, has been uh, linked to uh, meat intake in a number of different uh, ways. Now, uh, there's something besides meat that also seems to be coming on the horizon is also uh, something that can fuel cancer. Maybe not a carcinogen in and of itself, but can certainly fuel cancer. This study was done by UCLA's Johnson Cancer Center, uh, published uh, just a few months ago. These findings show that cancer cells can readily metabolize what? Fructose to increase proliferation. What they showed is that fructose dramatically increases the proliferation of pancreatic cancer cells. Glucose does not. Glucose has a different metabolic pathway. Now, when we're talk taking a look at sugar, sugar is glucose plus fructose. So we're getting fructose with uh, sugar. And uh, it is uh, one that can have major significance for cancer patients given dietary refined fructose consumption indicate that efforts to reduce refined fructose intake or inhibit fructase-mediated actions may disrupt cancer growth. One of the concerns is fructose consumption has increased over 1,000% in the last 20 years in America. Uh, the um, fructose uh, corn syrup and uh, many of the other um, uh, uh, fructose-related um, uh, refined products are something that is thought to be a health food 
since it, quotes doesn't have just sugar in it, it just has, quotes fructose, but we know, of course, that uh, isn't uh, the case. And maybe one of the reasons why sugar consumption has been linked to a number of cancers that have been looked at for many years, colon and rectal cancer also show up here, as well as breast cancer, ovarian cancer, uterine cancer, prostate cancer, kidney cancer, and even cancers of the nervous system. One of the cancers of the bowel that's also been shown to be increased as a result of sugar consumption is a rare type of bowel malignancy called small bowel uh, cancer, uh, also a link to uh, sugar consumption. And uh, this may be a lot of the new research in regards to cancer is taking a look at metabolic syndrome in cancer. We know those that have the metabolic syndrome or pre-diabetic patients uh, or um, overweight, et cetera, increase their risk of a number of different cancers, and uh, sugar uh, consumption certainly seems to be related. Also, many times we forget what Ellen White said in regards to sugar. Uh, she said, sugar, when largely used, is more injurious than meat. Pretty uh, uh, solemn statement for many uh, vegetarians who replace the meat uh, with actually a high uh, sugar uh, content. When we take a look at a summary list of cancer-causing agents, um, it can be rather extensive, tobacco, alcohol. High salt intake has been linked to a number of, uh, of cancers, uh, particularly uh, stomach cancer and other cancers. Uh, meat due to its saturated fats, nitrosamines, excessive iron in meat may be also one of the reasons that's pro-oxidant. There are many toxins that have been linked to a number of cancers. In fact, uh, um, we could have gone through just that alone. There's actually 19 different toxins that have been linked in major ways to uh, different uh, cancers. These are just a few of them here. Uh, radiation, of course, and one of the concerns in the medical literature is the increased radiation from indiscriminate CT scans. Uh, what's happening in emergency rooms throughout the country is if someone comes in for abdominal pain, it's almost automatic in some emergency rooms that they're going to end up with an abdominal CT scan. And that CT scan is worth about 400 x-rays uh, in regards to radiation. And uh, as a result, it significantly increases their risk of malignancy 20 uh, or 30 years later. Now, you know, if you have a 78-year-old coming in with abdominal pain, your threshold for ordering that would be less because their chance of living to 98 to get the cancer from it is far less. And so we might be able to do it uh, more indiscriminately in that age group. But for 20- and 25-year-olds to be just coming in with abdominal pain, and this is an automatic test that's ordered, is a, is a cause of concern. And uh, often they're looking, it's just uh, amazing. We've had problems even in our own emergency room uh, where I'm working and trying to educate these physicians. But, you know, they'll just come in with typical ulcer pain, and then they're ordering a CT scan, and it's kind of like, wait a minute, there's a whole lot of other ways that we could have tried to diagnose this. And a CT scan is a very poor way to diagnose things in the bowel anyways. And so if we're thinking of bowel, we really shouldn't be ordering uh, CT scans. Eggs, milk, cheese have been linked. Uh, eggs, of course, to prostate cancer, even milk to some extent, and cheese. Uh, saturated fat, other toxins with it, of course, some infections can go with it. Viruses, it's very clear uh, that viruses can cause a number of different cancers. And the family of viruses that um, is most uh, linked with it as far as broad-spectrum um, uh, cancers, of course, there's leukemia virus, there's hepatitis viruses that can do it as well. But we're now taking a look at the whole herpes group of virus, the Epstein-Barr virus. It's very clear that that is linked to 
a certain type of breast cancer that's a very deadly type of cancer, the estrogen receptor negative, progestin receptor negative, HER negative uh, cancers. That's really an Epstein-Barr viral cancer. Of course, we don't have any drugs that can combat the Epstein-Barr virus, but that's where the research needs to be going in a lot of these cancers as far as treatment is to look at the actual cause and then try to come up with something that treats the actual cause. We mentioned caffeine, excess sun exposure. Interestingly, executives that live indoors all day long have higher rates of melanoma than construction workers who work outdoors all day long. Uh, and, of course, the difference is when you're an executive and you happen to get sun, you tend to get the sun burn. That's what you want to avoid, uh, where if you do it uh, slowly and get tanned, it's, uh, it's much healthier. Asbestos is still a problem with mesothelioma and lung cancers. Wood dust uh, can cause nasal cancers, excess sugar in the diet we've mentioned, general powder and general deodorant sprays linked to a lot of different female cancers. This is a, a one that has recently surfaced in the medical literature as a cancer-causing problem shift work, uh, and it's actually linked as an underlying cause of cancer in a lot of the uh, cancer um, uh, literature. That is where you change shifts every month, and so you're working days, then you're working midnights, etc., and you may not have a job like that, but if you're not on a regular schedule, uh, it actually does adversely affect the immune system uh, in a, a number of ways. Well, that... Um, We've talked about avoiding carcinogens. We also need to talk about boosting the immune system. But some people, when I get to this portion of the presentation, tend to get pretty discouraged because they look at this list and they say, how in the world are we going to avoid all of these things 100% of the time? And, you know, there's no way that you can necessarily avoid all of those things. You may not smoke, but you can go down the streets of Sacramento and breathe in secondhand smoke, and that can cause cancer in you. I saw a cartoon a few years ago that demonstrated that with a horse lying on its bed, on a bed, uh, in a hospital um, environment, and uh, it said chemotherapy going into the horse, and the caption said, all those years with the Marlboro Man. Uh, and so uh, uh, passive cigarette smoke can cause uh, cancer in you. But it's, uh, it is something to, uh, to, there's a couple of things we need to keep in mind. Although we can't avoid all carcinogens, uh, we can limit our intake. And it's clearly demonstrated that the less frequent we have carcinogens coming in and the less the carcinogen load, it does decrease the risk. But also it's important to recognize, because we can't eliminate all carcinogens, that we really need to pay attention to the other arm in pre cancer prevention, and that is boosting the immune system, the second step to preventing cancer before it ever forms to begin with. Beta carotene, vitamin A, and other carotenoids are an important part of this. We know not necessarily in supplementation so much, uh, but in getting it in the fruits and vegetables. It's been shown to reduce the risk of lung cancer significantly, reduce the risk of prostate cancer, reduce the risk of pancreatic cancer, those with the highest levels of lycopene in their bloodstream uh, that get it in a natural way, not by taking the lycopene supplements, but by eating foods like tomatoes and strawberries. It's the red part that has the lycopene in it. Those people have the lowest rates of pancreatic cancer, uh, and uh, it seems to be quite preventive. reduces the risk of breast cancer as well and may reduce the risk of other tissue lining cancers. These are some of the foods that are high naturally in the carotenoids or carotene, mixed vegetables, cantaloupe, 86% of the RDA, sweet red bell peppers, just one, 
Sweet potato, 249%. Pumpkin is loaded. Carrots are loaded as well. If it's raw carrots, one cup, 309. Cooked carrots have even more, 383. Orange yams peeled after baking, 436. And so uh, it is pretty easy to get this if you're on a plant-based vegetarian diet, particularly taking those yellow fruits and vegetables in. Vitamin C is also important. It reduces nitrosamines. It is an antioxidant and uh, as such can actually be helpful in prevention. Uh, studies have shown it not only can protect you, but it can protect your offspring from cancer if you're a male. Uh, just um, 250 milligrams of vitamin C will actually prevent a, the sperm from being genetically damaged. A lot of the pediatric cancers are linked to faulty sperm in the father. And uh, these are cancers of the kidney, brain, leukemia, and offspring. Uh, those wouldn't occur if the mother and father uh, were healthy and eating a healthy diet. And so um, getting enough vitamin C is also important in preventing pediatric cancers. Uh, foods high in vitamin C, broccoli is high in it if it's raw. Now, unlike vitamin A, vitamin C, about half of it is destroyed by cooking. So you do better with raw here. Sweet green bell pepper, 66 milligrams. Orange, 70 Kiwi, 75. Strawberries, one cup, 82. Grapefruit, 94. Brussels sprouts are so loaded that even if you boil them, they have 98 milligrams of vitamin C. Uh, orange juice that's fresh, 124 milligrams. Sweet red bell peppers, 141 uh, milligrams. Uh, and then uh, uh, something in regards to uh, uh, fruits and vegetables and prostate cancer. Eating legumes three times a week reduces risk of prostate cancer by 47%. Eating tomatoes frequently decreases the risk. Soy milk in excess of a glass a day in one study reduced the risk by 70%. Uh, soy milk seems to have some very preventive uh, qualities in regards to uh, prostate cancer. This study was just uh, published a few months ago. A black women's health study tracked the diets and health of more than 50,000 African-American women from across the U.S for 12 years. 1,300 of those women developed new cases of breast cancer during that period. 35% of them were the very aggressive ER negative type that I mentioned earlier. And uh, the researchers found that women who ate at least two servings of vegetables a day had a 43% lower risk of ER negative breast cancer compared to women who ate fewer than four servings of vegetables each week. Now, how many servings of vegetables is it recommended uh, that we eat every day? It's actually recommended a minimum of five, so they're not even up to the five level. But notice uh, the importance of even getting the two. Further, they identified certain types of vegetables that appeared to reduce the risk of all types of breast cancer, including broccoli, collard greens, cabbage, and carrots. And this was published uh, October 11 of 2010. And this underscores the power of whole plant foods. Uh, whole plant foods actually exceed that of their component parts in power. For instance, a cup of cooked kale has 50 milligrams of vitamin C and 13 units of vitamin E, but the antioxidant potential of one cup of kale is equal to 800 milligrams of vitamin C and 1,100 units of vitamin E. And this is why we recommend fruits and vegetables instead of vitamin intake, per se, in regards to cancer prevention and even as an add-on in regards to cancer treatments. Now, this is a new study. Actually, um, uh, we, um, uh, I just uh, I should mention that uh, at Weimar this summer, at the Weimar Amazing Facts Convocation, 
we filmed a new start that will be uh, utilized in a global way uh, for you to utilize in your local churches. We did the, a nine-part series. We did an overview and then one of each of the natural remedies. And then we also did a spiritual new start. Mark Finley and John Bradshaw and Don McIntosh did the spiritual new start. Uh, each segment was 27 minutes each, and so you can utilize this in your uh, local churches. But this is taking a look at the antioxidant-rich fruits and vegetables, and this is the new data from the Human Nutrition Laboratory in, in Maryland. The top, um, whoops, we were going to go the other way, and I just uh, uh, noticed David Dom tried to adapt this from my lecture at Weimar, but I see he went backwards. Um, and so uh, you're getting, I was normally going from 10 to 1 and, and see you, I guess, but you can see these were in reverse. And so uh, it's too bad David's not here to see this. But uh, uh, number uh, uh, 10 uh, was grapefruit, number 9, kiwi, 8 cherries, 7 red grapes, 6 oranges, 5 plums, 4 raspberries, 3 strawberries, 2 blackberries, and 1 blueberry. Uh, blueberries uh, top the, uh, the list. Blackberries are actually number two in the list as far as antioxidant fruits. Strawberries is what the University of California at Berkeley mentioned as number one, but they didn't test the blueberries and the blackberries uh, that were there. And so it's good to keep these in mind, berries in particular. This is a very humble fruit, but one that's uh, very uh, important. And uh, hopefully I, this, the same thing didn't happen with vegetables, but I'm fearful that it did. Uh, and let's uh, see if it did. Ah, we got this one right. Number 10 is eggplant. Uh, Antioxidant-rich. Number 9 is corn. Number 8 is onion. Number 7, red bell pepper. Number 6, beets. Number 5, broccoli. Anyone want to guess what's in the top four as far as the antioxidant-rich vegetables? Number four, Brussels sprouts. Yes, very good. Number three? Number three is spinach. Uh, spinach is very uh, helpful because it's, uh, it's omega-3 content, which is that, that's not what it's looking at here. It's looking at antioxidant potential, but I think spinach has an additional advantage because of that omega-3 content. Number two, someone already guessed it, as kale. And number one, I haven't heard it yet. Number one, you'll kick yourself for not getting this. Garlic, uh, the number one antioxidant uh, vegetable. One of the advantages of being married to a Romanian, every entree starts out with four cloves of, uh, of garlic, it seems. Uh, Antioxidant-rich uh, uh, spices. Some of these spices are also uh, loaded as well. Uh, sumac, uh, cloves, sorghum, oregano. Uh, rosemary, thyme, turmeric, sage, um, acacia, uh, fruit pulp, or skin powder. They even rank these as far as antioxidant potential. Rose hips was number 10 uh, in the uh, antioxidant-rich spices. And then I won't show you this. You'll have to actually get the Weimar New Start uh, one to be able to get the whole comprehensive list that we did this summer. But the uh, number... Um, uh, it also took a look at legumes and ranked them in regards to fruits and vegetables and nuts uh, that came in. And many of the legumes are very high in antioxidant potential, uh, higher than virtually any of the fruits uh, that are out there. And, uh, and so legumes are a very important part in regards to uh, total antioxidant. Uh, 
Well, here, I guess we do have it. I didn't think I uh, had it. This isn't the actual Weimar list, and you can see it's not quite in the right place. But you can see how the, um, uh, many of the fruits come out on top. But pinto beans are up there, number four. Red kidney beans, uh, number three. Uh, and the small red bean. Have you heard of these? Yeah. Adzuki. Very high in antioxidant potential. Just a one-half cup, uh, far greater than what you would get in... Um, a, even a whole cup of blueberries. Vitamin D, we mentioned this earlier, reduce the risk of prostate cancer, breast cancer, colon cancer, also reduce the risk of lung cancer recurrence after surgery. And so uh, many studies are indicating its benefit, particularly when obtained from the sun. We're not as clear in regards to how the supplements are going to pan out in this, but there is evidence that uh, I think that the supplements are going to do uh, fairly well as well, but maybe not quite as good as the um, as sun. Obesity and increased risk of death uh, from cancer. We know obesity suppresses the immune system in several ways. Studies show whether you're a man or a woman, the more overweight you are, the greater the risk of a number of cancers. And uh, this has been looked at in many ways. It increases the risk of breast, endometrial, prostate, pancreatic, and esophageal cancer most definitively. Also, of course, increases the risk of high blood pressure, increases the risk of diabetes, and also increases the risk of heart disease. Now, how can you know whether you're overweight or not? Well, you can step on a scale, you know, and that might give you a clue. Uh, you can also see here if you can pinch uh, an inch, uh, that's a, uh, a one way of finding out. Uh, Dr. Scharfenberg says you can lay down on this floor here and if you put your chin down and you can't see your feet, uh, you know that you are obese. Uh, but uh, there actually is a new scientific way whether you can find out whether you're obese or not. And it's actually taking a look at the waist-to-hip ratio. You measure your waist. And uh, we used to say you measure it above where your bones are at. But actually, where you put the measuring tape, yes, is above your bones here, but you have to put your umbilicus in, your navel in the measurement. And some people's navels are way down here, but you still need to get it in, uh, the, the measurement. Uh, the second uh, measurement is the, the pelvic area, and uh, this is where you measure it on your bones. And you take the waist as the uh, numerator, the hips as the denominator, and if you're greater than 0 0.8 and you're a woman, you have an increased risk of all of those diseases. If you're greater than 0 0.95 and you're a man, you have an increased risk of all of those diseases. And uh, this is uh, one of the reasons why exercise can help first. Exercise can lower that waistline before you actually even lower uh, your weight itself. Uh, a large waistline more than doubles the risk that people in their 40s will develop precancerous cells in the colon according to Korean researchers recently. This was just published last year. A chance of finding abnormal cells during a screening test were just as good in younger men with too much belly fat as in slimmer men over 50. And thus, these people are recommending that if you fall into this category, don't wait till 50 until your colonoscopy. You really need to get it earlier as a result of that. And it's one of the reasons why we have to maybe individualize some of these screening um, uh, tests. Colon cancer has also been shown to be linked as far as probably suppression of the immune system to meal frequency. Uh, 
This uh, study showed that eating four times or more per day increases the risk of colon cancer 1.9. It's a 90% increase. Three times increases the risk of rectal cancer by 70%, 40% in colon cancer over the lowest risk were those that ate two times uh, per day. And so there seems to be an immune system advantage, you know, at least if you can maintain your weight, of eating twice a day versus more often. Exercise also, of course, helps the immune system. It's been shown to reduce the risk of breast cancer by 30 to 60%, reduce the risk of ovarian and endometrial cancer, reduces the risk of prostate cancer in men, reduce the risk of colon cancer in both genders. We know it increases natural interferon, interleukin-1, interleukin-2, natural killer cells. And so regular aerobic exercise is a good uh, cancer prevention as well as a heart disease prevention a lifestyle. Elements of a cancer-protective lifestyle as far as the immune system, proper diet is important in summary. Fruits, vegetables, uh, whole grains, nuts in moderation, maintaining proper weight, avoiding that obesity. And, of course, part of that is recognizing that one out of three people are overweight in this country not due to what they're eating at meals, but what they're, it's due to what they're eating in between meals. Bigger snacks, bigger slacks. And we recommend no sl- uh, snacks as far as the best uh, way to go. Uh, and so uh, uh, that's an important element, particularly in regards to the immune system as, too, as well. Regular aerobic exercise, sunlight in moderation, is clearly part of a cancer-protective lifestyle. Adequate water intake, it shows that if you have adequate water intake, you have less risk of kidney and bladder cancer. Stress control is also very important, the immune system control, and also that circadian rhythm thing uh, that we mentioned, also helpful in the immune system. Well, a lot of people are unaware of how much benefit you could have if you got on a program such as I'm talking about in regards to reduction of cancer. Uh, Harvard recently said that uh, up to 80%, in fact, they mentioned 90%. They said 80 to 90%. I like to be more conservative, but up to 80% of cancers could actually be prevented if people adhere on a regular basis to the lifestyle that we just uh, talked about. The American Cancer Society likes to uh, boil it down so people can remember it. You know, in five items or less, their recommendations are no smoking, avoid obesity, eat more fiber, eat more fruits and vegetables and less meat, and exercise regularly. Interesting, the American Heart Association also boils its recommendations down to five. No smoking, avoid obesity, eat more fiber, eat more fruits and vegetables and less meat, and exercise regularly. So if you're on a very good program for cancer prevention, you will also help prevent atherosclerosis and heart disease as well. Well, I also wanted to talk about the treatment of cancer. I wanted to leave some time, and I see we do have some time to talk about the treatment of cancer. Uh, What we've talked about primarily is for cancer prevention, but studies are clear that if you are diagnosed with cancer and you get on a better diet and lifestyle, you reduce your risk of dying of that cancer or having a recurrence if you are cured from it from other treatments. So a comprehensive lifestyle is important. Uh, in the treatment uh, of cancer. And then there's other natural remedies that can be utilized that we are uh, getting, that studies are being published in major medical journals about this. For instance, um, 48 men had surgery or radiation for prostate cancer. Pomegranate juice slows the doubling time in prostate cancer by almost two years. It decreases the rise in PSA and it contains a number of antioxidants thought to have anti-cancer effects. It also contains estrogen-like plant substances called phytoestrogens. That may be one of the 
soy advantages that can be useful in combating prostate cancer. This was published by the American Urological Association, Alan Antuck from UCLA, May 2005. Other studies are showing that if we have cancer, getting on a program to lower your cholesterol can decrease the fuel for that cancer and thus increase your risk of survival and surviving a longer period of time. This was the Journal of Clinical Investigation. High blood cholesterol makes prostate tumors grow faster. Test did not suggest that high cholesterol actually causes cancer, but did show that higher levels of the blood fats fueled prostate cancer growth. In fact, this has been so important that the pharmaceutical companies has, have picked this up and are putting cancer patients on statins in order to get their cholesterol down and showing increased longevity as a result of that. Now, the problem is statins have been actually been implicated in causing certain cancers, particularly in high doses, and so it's much better to get the, um, the cholesterol down through lifestyle uh, measures uh, such as a Weimar New Start program. When cholesterol was lowered, prostate cancer growth stopped in that study. Then we're also showing that a com combination approach, utilizing judicious chemotherapy with certain aggressive um, uh, cancers in conjunction with, uh, with certain plant substances can be helpful. Uh, this was a study showed uh, high omega-3, EPA, and DHA protected against advanced prostate cancer, even in men more at risk of the disease. Uh, this was a study uh, particularly looking at DHA. DHA affects solid tumors in mice and how well it interacted with the chemotherapy drug since platinum. Our results suggest a new fruitful drug regimen in the management of solid tumors based on combining cisplatinum and possibly other chemotherapeutics. These would be platinum-based chemotherapeutics with DHA. Now, DHA, doxyhexoanoic uh, acid, I'm sorry, docahexoanoic acid, is uh, what type of molecule? Does anyone know what category that falls into? It's an omega-3. And it's an omega-3 that's found particularly in plants of the waters. Now, fish, of course, have DHA, but they don't make it themselves. And uh, there is an um, interesting, of course, we use this in the mental health literature as well. If you're getting age-related cognitive decline, studies have shown that not fish-based DHA, but plant-based DHA significantly improves your memory uh, in just a six-month period of time. And so it's helpful in a number of uh, disease processes. Uh, but it's better to get the DHA from plant-based sources. Uh, of course, there have been drug companies trying to capitalize on the many benefits of omega-3. One, one drug company recently was able to get a patent uh, on an omega-3 uh, substance, uh, and what their patent process was was on the mercury removal process uh, for fish and other toxin removal. It's called Loveza. It's very expensive. It has DHA, EPA, and other omega-3s with less toxins. Now, if you look at the fine print, and if you write the researchers as I did, they will tell you that there's no way that they can get all the mercury out, uh, and there's no way that they get all the toxins out. And so it's much better to get the EPA and DHA from plant-based sources. They're far cheaper, far less expensive if you need to get supplemental sources instead of um, necessarily getting it with food. DHA elicited prominent chemopreventive effects on its own and appreciably augmented those of the chemotherapy drug. DHA reduces the accumulation of white blood cells, systemic inflammation, and harmful condition marked by decreased antioxidant levels, 
all of which have been linked to tumor growth. DHA reduced toxicity and injury to kidney tissue caused by the chemotherapy drug cisplatinum as well. And so uh, we can have less side effects from the chemo, need far less uh, when uh, utilized in conjunction with some uh, plant-based substances. This was an interesting study from Mayo Clinic. A uh, chemical found in green tea shrinks lymph nodes and reduces white blood cell counts in patients with chronic lymphocytic leukemia. This was the Journal of Clinical Oncology. There's no cure for CLL. About half of patients with the disease have an aggressive fatal form that progresses, said the study's researcher. Present, there's no therapy available that can prevent early-stage CLL from progressing, and that's why they utilized this study. The researchers tested polyphenon E capsules, which contain about 200 milligrams of EGCG in 33 patients who had early-stage CLL and no symptoms. The test doses ranged from 400 to 200 milligrams taken twice daily. The highest dose seemed to be most effective, with 76% of the patients taking 1,200 to 2,000 milligrams of EGCG showing a biologic response. Their white blood cell counts dropped. Uh, they did get a significant uh, biological response. And this was published in the Journal of Clinical Oncology. If you have CLL today, your doctor is probably not going to put you on anything unless, you know, it really starts to progress because the, the therapy um, risks outweigh the advantages. This would be one, obviously, where the advantages would outweigh uh, the risks. Then even more aggressive chemo, like acute myeloid leukemia, parthenolide, chemical derived from the feverfew plant, destroys acute myeloid leukemia cells leaving normal bone marrow cells relatively unscathed. The compound may get at the root of the disease because it also kills stem cells that give rise to AML as well as CML. This agent was found to be much more specific to leukemia cells than the standard chemotherapy drug, ERA-C, published in the prestigious journal Blood, University of Rochester School of Medicine. And, you know, interestingly, although these studies are being published and they're being uh, put forward, if you go to the University of Rochester and you, get, and you have AML, do you think you're going to be given parthenolide? No. And if you go to, you know, even the other universities, it showed DHA, you probably aren't going to get this. And this is one of the reasons why I think uh, today in Adventism there's a, uh, there's a particular need of comprehensive cancer treatment centers where we can utilize things like judicious chemo along with uh, some natural therapies that people can't get anywhere else. We get a lot of people coming to Weimar with cancer, but often they feel a little conflicted because they feel that they either have to go the traditional route or they have to go the health route. And in reality, often it's a combined approach that is the best uh, for them. Uh, but there's no place really offering that uh, combined approach, and that's they, it. Uh, puts them in a situation that may not be the most ideal. Uh, turmeric has been well studied now by MD Anderson in Houston. It's been shown to be helpful, at least in the laboratory, and melanoma, a very deadly cancer, multiple myeloma, pancreatic cancer, prostate cancer, breast cancer, as well as colon cancer. The study's author said no drug company is likely to develop a natural product that cannot be patented. That's his problem. He can't get funding for his turmeric studies because it can't be patented, and it's very cheap. There are no companies behind it, so our only source of funding is either the National Institutes of Health or the Department of Defense. And uh, <laughs> he actually got money from the Department of Defense <laughs> for his study. Uh, and uh, uh, is, uh, uh, those results are still um, ongoing. Uh, this, of course, is a, um, 
a uh, meal that you can receive at Weimar where you get the uh, turmeric as well uh, and you get a lot of other uh, uh, very healthy antioxidants that can be tasty as well. This was one of the studies he did. Human breast cancer was allowed to grow. This was the actual human breast cancer variety. Then a mastectomy was done in mice. Aggressive breast cancer spread the lungs in 95% of mice. Now, once breast cancer spreads to the lungs, it's universally fatal. You're not going to survive that. And uh, so this was the aggressive form, 95% of them going to the lungs. When Taxol was given, of course, Taxol is a chemotherapy drug that comes, actually, um, its root chemical comes from a tree uh, bark. 75% of mice had their breast cancer spread to the lungs. So what percent of mice were helped with Taxol? about 20%. When Taxol plus turmeric was given, only 22% of mice had breast cancer spread to the lungs. So again, a powerful add-on agent and one that can be helpful uh, also in other cancers like esophageal cancer. This study was done by the Core Cancer Research Center in Ireland, published in the British uh, Journal of Cancer. Researchers at the Core Cancer Research Center in Ireland treated esophageal cancer cells with curcumin. Of course, that's the actual compound in turmeric and found it started to kill cancer cells within 24 hours. The cells also began to digest themselves using an unexpected system of cell messages is what they mentioned. It's not the typical way cancer uh, cells are destroyed through what's called apoptosis. Uh, where it just almost seems to be uh, like a suicide. It's actually an unexpected system of cell messages uh, that gets uh, rid of it. In a new study, researchers at the University of Rochester Medical Center in New York treated human pancreatic cancer cells with resveratrol. Now, where does resveratrol come from? It comes from grapes, but also it's present in blackberries. It's present in raspberries, present actually in peanuts as well, uh, either alone or in combination with radiation. They found that resveratrol disrupted the activity of the cancer cell's mitochondria, energy-producing centers needed for cells to function. Resveratrol also impaired certain cancer cell proteins that thwart chemotherapy by pumping drugs uh, out of the cell. Cancer cells treated with a combination were much more likely to self-destruct. This is the apoptosis method. While additional studies are needed, this research indicates that resveratrol is a promising future as a part of the treatment of uh, cancer, said the study's author, and this was published in Advances in Experimental Medicine and Biology in April 2008. Now, another vitamin that's gained some um, publicity recently may end up becoming the new vitamin D. You know, vitamin D, so many studies have been done in regards to it helping the immune system, etc. But vitamin K also seems to be pretty important. Vitamin K enhances the effects of the cancer treatment pill Nexavar in the treatment of kidney pancreatic cancer requiring lower, less toxic doses. With vitamin K, the team could use half the normal dose and still slow cancer cell growth. Alone, the lower dose of uh, Nexavar was actually ineffective, but with vitamin K, it was effective. Vitamin K also enhanced the effects of Nexavar in hepatocellular carcinoma, that's liver cancer, uh, and other primary liver cancers. Then in regards to breast cancer, women deficient in the uh, vitamin D, when they were diagnosed with breast cancer, 94% more likely to have their cancer spread, 73% more likely to die than women with adequate vitamin D levels. 
After 10 years, cancer did not spread or come back in 83% of women with normal levels, and 85% of these women were still alive. This is why for breast cancer patients, we recommend that they get their vitamin D levels. We need to know what they're, where they're at and uh, how to risk stratify them. Only 24% of the patients had adequate levels of vitamin D, however, when they were diagnosed with cancer. Uh, and this was University of Chicago study, American uh, Clinical Oncology. So in the treatment of cancer, we recommend a comprehensive treatment uh, that might include things like turmeric or curcumin or uh, cholesterol lowering, et cetera. Surgery, of course, can be helpful uh, for a number of cancers, particularly if it's caught early on. Even if it's not caught early on, it might be helpful in the germinal cancers, such as testicular or ovarian uh, cancer. And uh, sometimes I've had to remind people, some people believe if they have cancer, if they're going to have surgery, it's going to cause it to spread. There's actually no uh, evidence uh, for that. And I've had to tell people that are um, averse to having surgery is uh, which came first, sin or surgery? No, if you read the book of Genesis, surgery came first. And, and both patients were satisfied with the results. Uh, <laughs> The, uh, uh, one of the, uh, you know, Ellen White also talked about how the Lord can guide the hand of the surgeon, talked about guiding Kellogg's hand, etc. Uh, the Lord can work uh, through surgery, and if it can be utilized as a treatment, uh, it should be. It shouldn't be used indiscriminately, however. A lot of people are unaware that Ellen White got cancer. She didn't die from the cancer, but do you know what type of treatment she underwent? It was radiation treatment. You can look it up in the CD-ROM. It's called X-ray treatment. Radiation can help certain types of cancer. We know it can help uh, particularly prostate cancer if it's caught uh, early enough, uh, depending. Of course, there's some radiation that's more preferred than others. We're, getting, we're perfecting the technique more so that damaging, if we don't do as much damage to the surrounding area, et cetera. But radiation is something that uh, could be uh, looked at as, uh, as an add-on. And as we mentioned, chemotherapy can be helpful in certain types of cancer, particularly lymphoma, uh, testicular cancer, et cetera, can be very um, uh, curative. And uh, particularly when used with a comprehensive lifestyle and natural means, it can be uh, very uh, potent. And then another treatment that we should mention, it's actually been studied in the medical literature, is... See if I can get it to come up here. The treatment of prayer. Uh, interestingly, uh, this is, uh, there's been studies done on SRC, the spontaneous regression of cancer. Uh, over 140 cases have been described in the medical literature. All of them involved prayer. But it wasn't a prayer for the Lord to wipe out the cancer. It was a prayer placing the patient into the will of God. None of these individuals thought they'd be cured. They all had stage four metastatic cancer where death seemed to be imminent. And then they weren't dying, and they were actually feeling better, and they had to go back to their doctors and say, tell me what's happening. I thought I'd be dead by now. Uh, and uh, their cancer uh, was gone. But that uh, really um, is something that we really need to utilize as a comprehensive treatment, placing the patient into the will of the Lord and having the uh, patient uh, a really desire to fulfill the Lord's will in their life. And in some cases, um, uh, certainly not all, but uh, in some cases, in a combined approach, um, cures can come about. Ellen White says this, natural means used in accordance with God's will brings about what? Supernatural results. We ask for a miracle and the Lord directs the mind to what? 
some simple remedy. We ask to be kept from the pestilence that walketh in darkness that is stalking with such power through the world. We are then to cooperate with God. And uh, I think uh, we need to actually uh, utilize, uh, this was selected messages, one other quote that I like uh, to uh, mention is a quote that she mentioned in regards to sanitariums. A lot of times people equate sanitariums with lifestyle centers, which they are. They're very much related to lifestyle centers. But notice what the ideal was that she mentioned here. Sanitariums are needed in which successful medical and what else? Surgical work can be done. You know, it wasn't her desire to have acute care hospitals um, poo-pooing what goes on at Weimar and Eden Valley and Wildwood and places like this. And it wasn't her idea that Eden Valley and Weimar and Wildwood would actually criticize and, and, and demean uh, what goes on in surgery centers and medical facilities. It was actually her desire to see the, these used in a comprehensive uh, way. She says, these institutions conducted in accordance with the will of God would remove prejudice and call our work into favorable notice. But she said, the highest aim of the workers in these institutions is to be the what health of the patients? The spiritual health. This is something that's also coming forward in medical literature uh, studies. I wish we had time to go into it. But it's clear that whatever enhances frontal lobe function also enhances longevity. Uh, now in a number of studies. And this is why the spiritual health is so important. She talked about the heavenly influence in our institutions. Successful evangelistic work can be done in connection with medical missionary work, she says. It is as these lines of work are what? United. So these lines of work are united that we may expect to gather the most precious fruit for the Lord. Well, as you know, I've been involved in Weimar in a leadership capacity. And one of our goals at Weimar is to resurrect the surgical suites that were there. You know, we did have a small acute care hospital. I don't want to build a Loma Linda or anything like that or a huge hospital. But to have a small hospital where we can have excellent surgeons, excellent cancer specialists, excellent even radiation specialists, et cetera, where people can have a one-stop place where they don't have to worry about should I go here or go there, but a one-stop place where they can maybe undergo their radiation treatments, go through the New START program, get on the, the, the right program that's going to be best for them to give them the highest chance of cure. And during that time, they may be introduced to the great physician uh, and have that opportunity to have that spiritual health dealt with. One thing is clear with patients with cancer. If their cancer cells are not destroyed, the cancer is going to destroy them. And uh, thus, um, when that diagnosis of that C word comes about, we really need to uh, offer these patients a, uh, a real comprehensive treatment that also addresses the spiritual as well. Well, you've been a very attentive group. And I'd also like to uh, mention um, we do have uh, more a material. Of course, some of this can be found in Proof Positive. I had someone recently say, uh, this is the best book uh, that I've written. Uh, and, uh, but I don't know that they read our last book, The Lost Art of Thinking, that just came out. Uh, they, they were comparing it to depression the way out. Uh, but, of course, it depends on what your, uh, what your actual background is. But uh, we do have more materials at Booth 224. Uh, and uh, also, even though it is uh, noon, I might give the opportunity uh, for a couple of questions before we close. Is that possible? Or, uh, or who's, who's moderating this today? Is it possible for us to take a couple of questions? Good. Yes, question here.
okay, the best source of DHA. Actually, it's seaweed. Plants of the waters are the highest in it. Now, here's some, some things about DHA. Um, they're a plant-based omega-3 that's present in almonds, it's present in spinach, present in flaxseed. ALA gets transferred in your body. It can be um, actually made into EPA and made into DHA. Dr. Frazier at Loma Linda University um, mentioned at the vegetarian conference that in the early data in Loma Linda, those that are plant-based vegetarians seem to convert that much more easily over into DHA than people who are not plant-based vegetarians. We're not sure exactly why that's the case. Uh, but um, you can make DHA from other sources of omega-3. However, if you're in a disease state such as we're mentioning, and the studies are showing DHA comes about, why not uh, get it from the, um, the plants of the waters or from capsules that get it from the plants of the waters? They're far cheaper than the Loveza. And, uh, and far less toxic, actually, in mercury and those other substances. And you can readily uh, find those uh, if you search for them, the plant-based uh, DHA uh, products that are there. Yes. Uh, or, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, they, um, uh, Right. The question is about acidic versus alkaline in regards to cancer. There's a lot of um, uh, uh, lay interest and actually lay misinformation that states that cancer uh, cannot grow in an alkaline environment. It has to be an acidic environment. That's actually not true. Uh, it's very clear that cancer can also grow in an alkaline environment instead of an acidic environment. Obviously, if you're on a plant-based vegetarian diet, you're going to be a lot more alkaline. Uh, and if you're not on a plant-based vegetarian diet, a high meat diet, you're going to tend to be a lot more acidic. So there is some association in regards to that. We know plant-based is better than meat-eating as far as cancer is concerned, but it by no means is 100% protective. And I don't know that we need to alkalinize our water if we're eating just plant-based products. We're going to be pretty alkaline. Uh, yes? Okay, uh, I'll answer the, the second one uh, first. Uh, and uh, in regards to Barrett's esophagus, is there something better than lifelong therapy with a PPI? Let me state unequivocally, a PPI does not prevent Barrett's esophagus from progressing. It's been well shown in the medical literature. If your doctor just puts you on a PPI and says, all right, this is the way in which we're going to try to prevent the Barrett's from progressing to esophageal cancer, it does no prevention whatsoever. Uh, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't help the prevention of Barrett's esophagus into cancer. Now, we're thinking it's the other reflux products, um, you know, besides the acid, that might help it to progress. So prevention of reflux does prevent it. Prevention of acid going up in there does not prevent it. And so what we work on are, are modalities to prevent the reflux and not just making the stomach um, more alkaline uh, in regards to prevention. And, of course, that would be a whole other presentation in regards to how we do that. But there's many lifestyle measures, including losing weight, including sleeping on your left side uh, and instead of your right side, et cetera, that can help prevent um, a reflux. And, of course, in some cases where people had just have very weak low esophageal sphincters and hiatal hernias, we're recommending 
the Nissen fundoplication, an actual surgical procedure uh, to help prevention. It's clear that that helps prevent uh, it. But a PPI does not prevent esophageal cancer in those that have Barrett's esophagus. Now, you mentioned uh, thermograms that you're talking about in regards to the breast cancer um, screening, uh, or are you talking about in regards to treatment? Yeah. Uh, there may be, of course, the, the mammograms today are a lot less um, radiation uh, than what they used to be. I'm not sure it's as much of a point as what, uh, what it would have been a few years ago where the mammogram radiation dosage was higher. Um, in regards to the accuracy, I'd have to actually defer to those who interpret um, both of those uh, scans. But I think the low-dose mammography is where most of the research is showing is probably a little superior, but a little more radiation. I want to take some people on this side as well. Yes. Okay, the question is, uh, if we do all three therapies, surgery, radiation, chemo, what's the chance of it returning? And, of course, uh, that's a loaded question because it depends on the tissue type. It depends on the staging of that tissue type. But there is data in regards to those things once we know the tissue type, how aggressive that tissue is, and the staging part. And then I could answer the actual particular question more clearly uh, or look up the answer to that. Uh, but, of course, the more aggressive the tissue type and the more it spread to vital areas, the less likely those three things are going to produce a cure. They might produce a response where it sets it back for a six months or a year, so it may buy time. But once you're in stage four cancer, in most instances, um, those things are not going to produce a cure. Uh, yes, uh, question up here, and then I'll also take one in the back. Yes. What about juicing for cancer patients? One of the things we recommend in regards to lifestyle treatments of cancer, and I think there's some biblical evidence for this. Um, you notice that when sin came into the world, what did the Lord introduce in the diet? Yeah, he introduced vegetables and herbs. And it's kind of interesting. A lot of the cancer treatment things, uh, some of them we've talked about here, but uh, in regards to cancer treatment, a lot of the even chemotherapy agents come from herbs and um, uh, the things that are from the vegetable kingdom. In fact, a lot of our medications, even for other um, situations, come from the vegetable kingdom. I think some, someone mentioned about 50% of all of the pharmaceuticals available today actually have its original source from the vegetable kingdom. I think it's very clear that when you have cancer, the vegetables in particular need to be emphasized. Not so much the fruits. We mentioned the fructose issue already. Uh, but uh, we really need to try to load up in, in, and of course it depends on the cancer as well, but in general we want to load up on those vegetables. And one of the ways of doing that can be juicing. And so in, in certain cancer instances we might actually recommend to be able to get a lot more punch in regards to the vegetables, juicing to be able to, uh, to accomplish that. Yes, in the back. Uh, we do have some of that, uh, some of the research that I presented, probably over half of it um, is still uh, uh, available in principle in our book, uh, Proof Positive, where we have a cancer chapter on that. 
Uh, we also, um, in, our, um, in our Weimar New Start thing, we mentioned some of these uh, studies that are there. Also, I would like to refer you to our Nedley Health Report. That's a free report that you can get from our website. All of the um, cancer research data on treatment that I mentioned is on that report. And then also the New Start Lifestyle Club. That's also a free um, service for you to uh, log into Weimar, the New Start Lifestyle Club. You can do a search in cancer and get some of this data as well. So those would be uh, several sources that you may be able to find some more information and get some of the information that I already mentioned. Yes? Yes, it'll take, it'll take a process before we get there. What we're, in, what we're currently trying to um, work out is getting the multiple physicians necessary that have that background. And so it has to be based upon the physicians and the uh, doctors that are there. But once we have that nucleus established, it would be a natural thing for us to uh, progress uh, in that direction. So it is movement that we're trying to make there. Yes, question back here. Okay, uh, the question is, and it's a common question that we're asked, and that is in regards to substances that have benefit plus have some harm. Uh, you know, of course, the coffee bean itself is a legume. It has some advantages. It can have an, uh, antioxidants, et cetera, and those that promote the use of coffee mention those things. But, of course, coffee also comes with the caffeine in most cases, and, of course, the caffeine is a co-carcinogen, et cetera. And so, uh, in general, it's good to try to choose um, choices that have uh, the benefit without the harm uh, and as, uh, it, as much as possible. All right, one more question here, and then I think we'll need to close. All right, what about B12? B12 is something that can be short in vegetarians because it's not very readily available in plants. Actually, animals don't make it either. It's made by bacteria, but since animal products have a lot more bacteria, you tend to get a little more B12 in animal products. Uh, the, uh, the commercially available supplement is primarily cyanocobalamin that has a cyanide molecule in the middle of it. It's tightly bound. It's not really toxic unless you're probably taking large amounts of B12 than maybe there's a theoretical concern for it. What we recommend, though, is that if you're going to take a B12 supplement, which is often a very good thing to do, it's actually been shown to be helpful, for instance, in multiple myeloma. We didn't go into that, but multiple myeloma can actually have, that's one of its problems, B12 deficiency that can bring it about. Uh, we recommend hydroxycobalamin, uh, which is the cobalamin molecule without the cyanide molecule. And you can find it. It's a little more difficult to find, but look up hydroxycobalamin. We'll have information about it on our booth as well. And uh, this has been shown in the, in the toxicology literature as being very helpful for a number of conditions. Hydroxycobalamin is used as a, as a chelating agent 
in a number of different uh, toxic uh, situations, and it might also be helpful in cancer. It uh, certainly is not going to hurt you, and it's going to be helpful as far as a B12 supplement. So that's the one we recommend to get around the problem that you just mentioned. Well, you've been a very attentive group, and why don't we bow our heads as we uh, close. Father in heaven, we thank you for the interest that you have in our health of body, mind, and soul. We thank you that you are the great physician and that your desire is for us to live a healthy, more abundant life. We pray, Lord, that we would be able to uh, actually apply this information in our own life and also be able to tactfully share this with others in need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.